TAFE Queensland acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and respect the continuing connection to land, waters, cultures and family that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples uphold. We pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that teaching and learning has taken place on country for over 60,000 years and two-way learning is an important part of our reconciliation journey. Hi, my name is Catherine and I'm the host of the podcast, My Study Journey. In this season, we go on a discovery journey to learn more about Australia's Indigenous culture and listen to inspiring stories of our First Nations peoples and students. You're listening to Connecting Cultures. Earlier on in my uh, mum's life, they were young and they were out around Lismore and there's a lovely pool there. Mum went with Nan and the kids and that and they went to go for a swim and they were refused entry. Everybody else was swimming in the pool but Aboriginal people weren't allowed to go in. To start today I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that uh, we are meeting on, um, acknowledge um, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and within my own family structure and mob I'd like to also recognise the people that follow me spiritually and in the present and thank them for all of the strength they provide me through my journey with my work and my life and my children and my family. You're listening to Stacey Walters. Stacey is not only a TAFE Queensland alumni, she is one of the remote learning early childhood education and care teachers who travels to communities to teach the qualifications through a program called RATEP, which is specialised in teaching Indigenous communities. In this episode, Stacey gives us insight into what it's like going to communities, what it's like training the new role. Essentially 30 years plus of education. So they've been delivering courses for teacher aides, to get teacher aides into teaching places within schools and then move on to university into primary degrees. So our little mob, the early childhood team, we're standing up, we're providing, we've got educators learning, growing, providing those rich experiences within and on country and islands. We are providing that middle in between where we can gather and promote and encourage more Indigenous, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students to take that step into early childhood and be those educators that can maybe move forward into the big roles in their communities. I asked Stacey why it's so important for educators to teach face-to-face to students living in remote areas. Face-to-face delivery is the most important way of delivering and getting your point across and role modelling and being able to have that connection with the learner, inspiring, encouraging the learner to keep going, moving over small hurdles to get the student into that space where they're confident and they're knowing the material and then being able to put it in practice into their jobs because most of our students and nobody would recognize this but all our First Nations students we would have a 98% rate of working students. We have employed educators upskilling, getting more skills about child development um, emotional, social development, additional needs, 
culture and language and rich experiences and how we can make those early childhood times, whether they're in a long daycare, a kindergarten program or an OSH, which is outside school program, what we can do is we're making those times rich for our kids We're inspiring them, we're leading them, we're giving them time to play, feel belonging and connect to everybody within the service and within the community. Every person that comes into my vision or into my class or into my heart, they are bringing me knowledge. So I recognise that and then I'm bringing them knowledge as well. So it's a two-way sharing, two-way learning and we plod beside each other. You know, no one's coming first. (laughs) Someone is always there like looking up and we're looking at each other and we're saying, yay, let's move on, we got that. There's nothing against online delivery. It's just that there's no service in places. It's really tricky. You know, for example, city people, you get 5G. Somewhere you get 4G. You further you go north, you get 3G. And then you might get no G. Stacey explains the differences she sees in communities as the students become role models to the younger generations. The um, difference to communities and to students and employment is probably the biggest visual effect I see um, within this training. The pay rises that students get when they do get qualified as a Cert 3 and then as a diploma and the roles and responsibilities is a difference that I see a positive difference. The positiveness of being having those mentoring, achieving people within community that the young ones coming out of high school and stuff like that look up to and see it can be done. And to see that lives change because employment is there, children's lives change as well because we've got qualified educators, so we've got great programs running within services. We've got a long way to go to get to where we want to get to have our communities full employment, things happening, moving forward. And we are, we're getting there. But the fact is that role models are looked at with pride. You know, that person interacts with from the youngest to the oldest and is able to be able, you know, show them that it can be done. Show everybody it can be done. It's like our students with early childhood, right? We've got students that did a Cert 3 and then did a diploma and then made a move to uni. That person is there for the children of that community, speaks language, understands culture, understands connection, what's happening in community, and therefore the children that attend that school and class are getting the best result because their connection is strong and the learning is then possible to be strong as well. It's all about connecting with community and the feeling of pride, and that's how we do it. And that's how we want to feel it. And it's the positive stories that people don't hear, the positiveness of the life of Indigenous people that is not heard of, but we're living it and we're making it happen with the help of our community and connections. I asked Stacey if there are any issues that communities are facing today. Having good internet Having good phone service, that's a, you know, I know that's a first world problem. Quality of water in some of the spaces that we go, just in general, like, you know, good drinking water's necessity of this world, so that would be nice. Accommodation and housing, overcrowding is just rampant in different spaces, and it's not fair. 
on um, families, children. Cost of living is major. Rentals in certain um, communities through the roof, like you couldn't afford it. That's why you get many families trying to live together, so it brings the price of rent down. That's not in all communities, that's in some. Probably access to um, medical services within major um, like hospitals and stuff like that, being able to give birth on countries, not always a possibility. You have to get flown out to a major centre. And then there's also food costs. People in the major cities are like raising their eyebrows at, you know, something that's 50 cents extra, where you might be like $2, $3, $4 extra for that product, you know, and it's freight and... It's not cheap to live in remote places at all for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you know. And they've still got to come up with the money to be able to support a family. And we we have. We've got students, people working, trying to save money, trying to, you know. But it's costly, very costly. Power, you know, running air cons and in hot spaces, you know. That costs an arm and a leg. Some of the spaces that I visit, the traditional hunting still happening. You know, there's uh, fishing, hunting, whether we're doing on land or in the ocean, sea. Definitely coming back and sharing what's been caught with families, all different, all mob family. So what happens? Bring it back. Everyone does, you know, separating into family groups and this is why it's going to here and here and here. And it's sustainable practice, you know. So not one person gets greedy and catches and keeps it all for themselves and sits there on the veranda with a big tummy. (laughs) It goes to everyone. So it's pretty amazing in regards to sharing of food and natural resources. So with the price of things, people are relying more in those spaces of of, um, hunting and gathering because that's probably cheaper with dinghy fuel than to go and buy a tray of lamb chops, which would be, you know, more than you and I could afford. I asked Stacey where she comes from, about her heritage, and if she has any stories that she would like to share that her family went through. I am connected to Gumaroi Nation, which is Gunnada, New South Wales mob. So my heritage is my mum is Aboriginal and my dad is English. We've got both sides there because he was from England. He came out on the movement, the 10-pound POM, and then got put onto farming and, you know, stations and that. Mum was from, obviously, the Aboriginal family side of Gunnada. The upbringing in that time, because 1967 was the referendum when it was like whether you're classified as an Australian citizen at that stage. So there was a fair few years between 1950 and 1967, and um, that family of mine... They were actually got one of the first Aboriginal housing houses in Gunnada. Yeah, before that they roamed about. They were at different campsites. It's really hard because when you talk to the oldies, you know, the elders, like you get the stories of the suffering that they went through, you know, the discrimination. You also get how they were treated by people nicely as well. So there's two sides. But there was a lot of hardship and there was a lot of welfare you know, the welfare officers come around, try and take the kids. Until you can actually go and sit with mob or elders or whoever's from that region and sit down and have that yarn, 
you aren't going to know everything about culture. So languages are lost on the mainland for a lot of places, okay? So Aboriginal languages were not to be spoken um, back in the day, like policy, government, all of that. And it was basically wiped out because they wanted assimilation. They wanted to make sure that there was no Indigenous people left because of the government at the time, the policies, and the people that enacted the policies were following what they were directed to. And that made hardship happen. So culture was lost a lot. So it was done in secret or it wasn't done at all. So language, practising protocols like traditions, having those um, gathering times around fire, sharing food, traditional medicine, all of those different things that were important to culture and language and song, all of those things were squished and it was like, don't have that anymore, culture's gone you have to operate like this in mainstream or the white man's world or whatever you want to call it. So that is where now our schools are bringing back. We're hoping that language gets taught. We've got people specialising in digging up all of the different stories, all of the different language, all of the different celebrations, dance. A lot of the time it's like um, dance and song that's telling a story. And when you hear acknowledgements or welcome to countries you feel so proud when you hear the didgeridoo you just get goose pimples all over Um, when you see dance and you feel the rhythm of it and you hear it feel it here in your heart and it's just that connection that pull yeah it's amazing and it's there you can't ignore it my mum had a little job, I think she was younger than 14. The first time she said that she ever had a proper bath in a bathtub, like she was cleaning this old lady's house and um, she used to go up and clean the house and that and this and she kept on, mum said, I kept on looking at the bath because it was so lovely. And then um, after they'd formed a relationship, you know, like she was there every week or whatever, however often, the old lady goes, you know, do you want to have a bath? And mum goes, oh. I'd love to. So she had a first actual bath in somebody else's house and she was the cleaning lady for it at a young age, you know. So because things like that just didn't happen, you know. Earlier on in my uh, mum's life, around Lismore when they were younger, my nana took the kids, six of them, to the swimming pool to go and have a swim at the Lismore swimming pool. Sorry, Lismore swimming pool. Anyway, so they went there and they've all got excited. We're going swimming today. And, you know, Nan, well, that was mum to then, my nana. Nan's taken them and that. And then they've got there and they weren't allowed to go in because they're Aboriginal. We got all these kids, the whole feeling of not belonging, not feeling part of society. Probably a couple of years ago, they were going on this, my mum and dad in their 70s, going on this caravanning trip, you know, like doing a little boot scooting around Aussie. And so they went down that way, stopped at Lismore and mum's like, oh, might be able to have a look at the pool to my dad. And dad's like, yeah, okay, let's go. And he's like, come on, babe. And mum, they got dressed to go and they went to the pool and lo and behold, they got to walk in the pool, go for a swim, walk out. And then at the end, like when they went out and mum said, well, that was good, you know, I've been here, I've finally got in and they did a high five together, <laughs> two 70-year-olds, mind you. But that's, 
you know, that's a long, long time to have that feeling of not being allowed into somewhere and then finally being allowed in this day and age. But then it's a short time in history that we've actually, you know, decided that Indigenous people at that 1967 referendum were actually part classified as a citizen. Before that, it was the flora, fauna, um, some sort of act there. So it's just that that's the, that's the shortness of Australian history so far or Indigenous history that people don't talk about. It doesn't get out there as much as it should. It's part of those stories that you get those feelings of the struggle that's been and I guess a lot of people don't understand that until they've actually sat down and had a cup of tea or they've had a yarn with someone that's been through an experience or their or their whole life mind you not just that experience there's multitudes of them and little stories that we're getting now from elders and and others it makes it real for those members that of our society that don't understand what happened or how we got here and you know, how people feel about the past, especially Indigenous Australians and First Nations people. You know, that's our mob, that's where we came from, that's where that pulled us through. And, you know, we've got good stories today too. We've got good stories all over. So as a country, we need to still keep moving forward and have recognition towards our First Nations people. If you've enjoyed this story and want to explore studying at TAFE Queensland, visit us at tafequeensland.edu.au. Click on the international tab at the top of the page. That's tafeqld.edu.au.